You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is The Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. Graduated from Plumiana High School. What happened after high school? I went to Malone for two years. Okay. For broadcasting and theater. I started their first radio station. Dr. Hedges. Yes! I loved him, and I have tried to Google him and Facebook him and find him because I absolutely know that he would remember me 100%. We were very close. I'm sure Dr. Hedges is dead. No! That was a long time ago. Don't tell me that. (laughs) No, he he was actually pretty young when I had him. His son, Andy, was only two. When were you at Malone? Okay, I am 60 now. I hope he's not dead. He may be 20. He was he old when I was there. I know. But he looked, <laughs> his looks were old. He wasn't really as old as he looked. But we had the best time. It's And that's when he wrote his play, Esther. Oh, my gosh. And we had the best, best time. So you were a broadcasting major? Yes. And then what happened? You were two years into Malone. I got married. And my husband didn't think I should go back to school. Was he your college? (laughs) He was going to the Methodist church when I was a child going to the Methodist church. And that's how I met him. Were you high school sweethearts? Uh, When I was in high school. He was five years older than me. Okay. So. So you got married at 20? I was, yes. And then did you start having kids right away? (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. And seemed like you were twenty two. <laughs> you were twenty two, right? Yes. You had five kids. My oldest uh-huh. wasn't real happy that we kept having children. Oh, you know how that feels. <laughs> yeah, I walked right out of the room when my mom told me. Didn't smile. You were sixteen. Yeah. Uh, now, who was your mom and dad? Dave and Becky Osborne. Okay, all right. Yeah. Okay. Five kids. They are within twelve years. How long were you married? Thirty-two years. Did you stay at home and raise kids for 17 years? I homeschooled. Wow. Uh, everybody until we moved back up here. We moved to Florida. Yeah, you probably hang out hung out with her kids when you were little. I was homeschooled for 2 years. How old are you? I'm 35. When Jeremiah was thir- is 37 or 38 now. Josiah would be 31, so you are right in between in my gap. <laughs> <laughs> Did you homeschool all of them all the way through? No, 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 no. We were in Florida for 10 years, and I homeschooled them the whole time we were there. And then we moved back up here, and I sent them all to school because I had to get a job because Mike did not have a job. So So Florida was 10 years. What year did you come back? Oh, gosh. We've been home for 25 years. And when you came back, what kind of job did you get? I worked in restaurants for quite a while. I moved up real quickly every place I went into management. Then when the family's restaurants failed, (laughs) they had three restaurants, and they realized that they were much better at the grocery store business than the restaurant business. So then they moved me over into their grocery store. And so I was at Giant Eagle for 10 years. Well, I was after Giant Eagle. Windsor House, yes. Where you are now. Yes. When did you... You just switched to that job recently, right? A year ago. So in 87 is when you went to Florida? And why did you guys go down there? Well, we went down because Jessica kept getting pneumonia every year. And so we talked to the pastors, and and, uh, I think Jim Cook was the one who said, you know, why don't you... You know people down there. See if there's anything down there. So Mike called him, and Denny said, I have the perfect job for you. Let me put Karen on the phone. They needed parents for their shelter for abused and neglected children. I had two children. It was February. I was going crazy. (laughs) I remember him getting off the phone and telling me that. And uh, the shelter housed up to 10 kids. And I laughed at him. (laughs) I said, no, there's no way I can do that. And I went, I met Debbie Ritchie up at the mall the next day. 
And of course, you know, when you're in the car by yourself, you're praying, you're talking to Jesus. So clearly, Holy Spirit said, it's going to make me cry. Look what I brought you through. I did not bring you through your childhood for nothing. You know what these kids have gone through. You have my heart. You can love them. That's all you need. And there were many times some of the older kids I was able to share. Yes, I was abused. Yes, I was molested. Yes, I had a horrible upbringing. But Jesus still got me. Because they would say, why don't you abuse? Why I don't understand. They always say, if you've been abused, you're going to abuse. But Jesus, that was it. So then we went. How old were you when you went? 26? 26. What was that job considered? (laughs) Shelter parents. Did you have 10 kids? We had over 300 children come through our shelter in 16 months, which is how long we stayed. Wow. Which is about the amount of time, pretty normal time that shelter parents lasted because you burn out very fast. So what did you do for the other eight and a half years? He worked at uh, a golf club company, and I kept having children. And you were homeschooling then? <laughs> and I was homeschooling. We were very involved with our support system, homeschooling, and we got very good friends. And and then when did you get divorced? 13. I left in 13. I mean, it, it took me to a very dark place. I ended up having an affair. It didn't necessarily destroy my marriage because what my marriage was, what was what my marriage was and it didn't get better or worse but it very much destroyed my relationship with Jesus at that time and it took several years to come back I was very young and I and I know at the time I didn't think I was all that young I was 20 but now I look back and I think oh my gosh 20 is so young and I had already come from an abusive upbringing from my father and all of the things that he taught me about you are 100% you do everything your husband wants you to. And it's your responsibility to make him happy. So it wasn't all Mike's fault because I didn't know that I could stand up and I didn't know that I had a voice. But from the very beginning, it was like that. I literally, and it sounds so stupid, but I grew up not having a voice. So why would I think marriage was any different? I didn't have a voice. There's eight kids, two sets of twins, you and your sister Candy, both have twin brothers. Yeah. And were you in the middle? I was the sixth. Your, you and your twin were five and six. Yes. And then Candy was? Eight. Kurt was. And her? Yeah. When you're young, of course, you have all the answers, and you know that, hey, this is, this is great, this is wonderful. Not even realizing that you are still, if you've come from a place that has only fed you lies, hurtful ways, that's all you know. That's, that's your only frame of reference. And it is absolutely amazing when you get two people together, one that has had a good upbringing and one that hasn't, I hid from everything and everybody. That's where the difference is. And you don't even know. It's like an abused woman in a relationship. They don't even understand that they're being abused and they need to leave and they need to get a better life. You don't deserve this. They don't even know. You can explain it to them. They don't get it. And so that's what it was. I came from one relationship that was not good into a relationship where I thought it was going. I used to say that Every relationship that I had with a man that was supposed to protect me and to love me, hurt me, tore me apart. So when Chris was talking on Sunday about father's love and mm-hmm. how you respond, Candy reached over and took my hand and I said, I know, I know. <laughs> I know. He's still working things He's out. He's still working things out. Are we going to have <laughs> fake names today? <laughs> What <laughs> exactly have you thought that about mean? that? Kate and I are always some some form of Betty, Bet, Brenda, not, Bob. I did not come with a name prepared. We do initials. It's a BS. <laughs> you don't have a middle name? This oh, was, I have lots of names. Yes. This was an, this I don't was go an, by my first name. But this was in a podcast once. You no, have, I've never said my real name on the podcast. But your middle name. Elizabeth. But your first name. Never. You won't even give an initial. J. Okay. <laughs> J-E and J-D. J-E-A-S. <laughs> 
because Altam are still part of my middle name. <laughs> okay. What's your middle name, Marie? Anne. Christine. It was a quirk of my mother's. She named all eight <laughs> children with a C. That is a quirk. I know. My mom used to complain that I named all my kids with a J, and I'd just look at her. Really, mom? <laughs> <laughs> really? So you were at the upper room from 14 to 26. Weren't you leading worship part of that time? I was on in the minstrel team. Minstrel? Minstrel. That's like That's so old school. I what know. the heck is that? We called ourselves the minstrels. <laughs> we went on a lot of weekends, retreats, which was so cool, which I still remember very well. Yeah, I did that for years and years. And so you've been back here four years? At the upper room, yes. And that's, you've been married to? Maybe a little bit longer, maybe five years, to Jeff for four years. All right. You ready? Yes. Yes. You all right tonight? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm always way more nervous on this side. You'll be fine. As opposed to what side? Your side. He's been on it several times. Ah. Three times. Because you and Megan did the marriage one, and then you did a topical one. Yes, that's right. And then he did his own. Why would you be more nervous on that side when you're not even sharing about yourself? I don't know. I feel like... You know the questions. (laughs) I do know the questions. That's right. You you and Kate are so good at this. It it intimidates me a little bit. Oh, my gosh. You're just as good. (laughs) I'm not going to live up to this. You're going to be great. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Elizabeth. It's Josh. And we are here today with the beautiful Mrs. Christine Ann Rice. Welcome to the podcast studio. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> the cheaters. <laughs> I heard you talking about this on the last one. Josh is filling in as my co-host today. Kate is out celebrating Ooh. with her brother and family for his birthday. So thanks for filling in for us today, Josh. Absolutely. We have a treat in store for us. <laughs> so Chris was born and raised in Columbia, Ohio. She is the fifth child out of eight, and the last four kids in her family were twins. Her and her sister Candy, who also attends the Upper Room, both have twin brothers. Chris and her brother were five and six, and Candy and her brother were the seventh and eighth of a big family. She graduated from Columbiana High School and went to Malone University for two years. We both went to Malone. Two years into college, she decided to get married. She married her high school sweetheart, and Chris got married when she was 20. At 22, she had her first child and had four more after that in a span of 12 years. So they had five kids together. Chris and Mike were members of the Upper Room Fellowship back in the day. Chris was on the menstrual team. Josh and I had to look that up. (laughs) I was not sure. (laughs) We didn't know what the menstrual team was. What is it? It's the worship team. And I was also on what was the theater group that we had. Carla was the director. Like Kevin's Gates and Hell to Play. Oh, no, we had no, oh. we had a name. And we did a lot of skits. Shoot, I don't remember what we called ourselves. I'll think of it sometime. They were in the theater group as well for <clears throat> yes, the Upper Room yes. Fellowship. Bit of history there. All you old timers can call in, phone in and tell us what. <laughs> name of that the drama team it was just called the drama team the drama team yeah the drama team in 1987 mike and her and her one daughter two two children moved to florida they were shelter parents for 16 months they parented over 300 kids in that time burnt out understandably and then mike went back into the working field and got a job they moved back to columbiana in 1997 Chris homeschooled her five kids for 17 years. She was stay-at-home mom and homeschooled. And then when they moved back to Columbiana, she got into the restaurant management business. Then she went into the grocery store business for 10 years. She's currently a medical record director at the Windsor House in St. Mary's at the Alzheimer's Center. Chris and Mike separated in 2013 and got divorced in 2015. She's now married to Jeff, who she got married to in 2018, and she has 14 grandkids. Did you buy Christmas presents for all those grandkids? Oh, my God. Well, the 14th is still bacon. Okay. He's coming within the next two weeks. Joshua, my middle child, 
is fostering, hoping to adopt the two little girls. So that hopefully in 12 months, I think it's going to be, hopefully it will be 16 grandchildren. One more and you'll be up there with Beth and Rich. Yes, I just found that out. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty close. In her spare time, Chris loves to play guitar, sing. She likes refinishing furniture, refurbishing houses, and writing for newsletters to know (laughs) good to know Uh yeah it's coming (laughs) chris has been back at the upper room for the last four years and she attends with her sister candy who wasn't here before but just recently started coming too so glad to have you in the podcast studio today so much so chris tell us who or what turned your light on all of my life i went to the methodist church with my family didn't really well I, I was I was young too so I didn't really get a lot out of it but one week a lady asked me if I wanted to go to her house for something called a share group and I asked my mom I was 12 I asked my mom and, and she didn't know what a share group was any more than I did but she said yes go ahead so I I went and as I was walking into her house she said are you a part of the family of God being a good church going girl I said yes of course I am. Well, then she actually started to lay out the plan of salvation and who Jesus was and what it meant to ask him into your heart. So by the end of the time, yeah, my hand went up and I said, yes, I want this. I want this. Of all people that prayed for me, Beth Sheldon prayed with me. And when we were done, she was crying. I thought she was nuts. <laughs> I did not understand whatsoever why she would be crying because she just prayed for me. Of course, now, years later, I, I absolutely understand. And at 12 and the first time hearing about Jesus, I did not, I did not understand the far-reaching part of asking him into my life. I did not understand anything. I didn't know. I knew when I went outside and waited for my mom to come pick me up, I felt such happiness, just such such joy that I had never felt before. And I didn't know why. I didn't understand why. But God gave me a real thirst for reading his word then, so I would get to know who he was and what he wanted to do in my life and how he wanted to love me, because I didn't know any of that. So that's how I first met Jesus. What did your journey look like from 12 years old? And you started coming to the upper room at 14. At 14. My older sister was in a singing group, and it was based out of the Christian church. And she had this album that she would play all the time. Of course, yes, we played albums, and we played (laughs) records, and we had a record machine. They are back in for us. Uh, Yes, I I know. I still have the ones that I had. (laughs) So she would play it all the time. And in my family with eight children, you did not play soft music. (laughs) You played really loud music. So I knew all the songs. And one day, for some reason, I don't remember what reason, I went to... To her practice with her. And I sang all the songs with them as they were singing. And they said, come on, come, come with us. And so I did. I joined the singing group. There I met my lifelong friends, Bonnie and Randy Gowding and um, Patty Hall now. But one day, Randy asked me if I wanted to go to church with him. And sure, yeah, I'll go. It was the upper room over Doc's office, I think that night we actually sat on the floor. I think many nights it was so crowded that I sat on the stairs going downstairs because there was not enough room on the floor to sit. So the stairs were always very full with people sitting there too. But that's how I first came to the upper room. And I knew the Strieflers because they went to the Methodist church. Um, And actually quite a few people that first started the, the upper room came from the Methodist Church. They became believers. They asked Jesus in their hearts during a weekend thing at the Methodist Church, and that's where their fire started burning, and that's where the upper room started. I was fortunate to know, although at the time I was a little freaked out about speaking in tongues, (laughs) raising your hands. And again, at that time I was 14, so I did not understand, and I had never experienced that with anyone in my life. So it was all brand new. So I had to learn about it. How did your life change when you met Jesus and he started 
to teach you and you started to read the Bible and what did that look like for you? It's really quite amazing as I think about it. I had a very uh, rough, rocky upbringing. I had a very abusive home life. And what I didn't realize then that I realize now that I had almost two different lives inside of me. It was the life that I led in the physical where I was afraid and I would hide, had bad things happen to me. And then there was the part of me that was inside that loved Jesus, and I could be happy inside. So I'm sure people would call it compartmentalizing or whatever. It worked for me. and we, You thought it worked for you. Well, I, th- I thought it worked for me. <laughs> When you're brought up in, in, in a place like that, you don't talk about that. Number one, you're really sure that the person who's abusing you would not like it if you talked about it. <laughs> Never really discussed it, but you're pretty darn sure that they, they weren't going to like you talking about that. And somewhere inside of you, you kind of think that everybody else is like that too. And so when I would see people at the upper room with wonderful parents and they would talk about Jesus, I would be baffled, astounded, amazed. Actually, I remember talking to your parents, Seal and Tony, about that very thing, how they dealt with their young children, how they talked about Jesus, and I would I would watch them. I would watch all the parents, but because your family, uh, you kids were a little bit older, and there were several of you, I would watch how they talked to you and how they dealt with you. And I, I got to say, many times I was brought to tears just knowing that, see, I'll do it now. Your dad loved you and he hugged you. He told you that he loved you. I certainly didn't know what went on at home, but my hope was certainly that he wasn't hurting you. And But what he showed to us was that he was a very loving dad. That meant a lot to me. All those years, all the parents at the upper room, I learned a lot from all of them. So that abusive upbringing, you got married when you were relatively young, 20. You left college to get married, Mm -hmm. and you really hadn't had a picture before you of what it looks like to have a healthy relationship or be in a, a healthy family. So can you walk us through that part of your journey? Well, in my heart, I really believed that my husband loved me. We went to church every Sunday. I had a relationship with the Lord. I assumed that he had a relationship with the Lord. We never really talked about God, but he was not a big talker. But I was taught from my father all of my life. I heard many, many times, father is the head of the household. You have to do whatever the father wants you to. You have to make the father happy. Him speaking, my happiness depends on how you act which is all wrong, which is all untruth. But unfortunately, I took that into my marriage, not ever seeking to have a voice because I never knew that I could. And that was not my husband's fault. That was mine. Had I understood better, things certainly would have been different, but I didn't. So I did whatever he wanted whenever he wanted and however he wanted. And he became very controlling and manipulative. I wish I could go back and know then what I know now. Maybe both of our lives could have been changed so we would have never gotten to the point that we did. It was very good, and my father was very good at this too, about taking scriptures and using them against me, using them to get their way his words were always, the Bible says, so with him saying that in my mind, I was not allowed to ever say, no, I'm uncomfortable with this. No, I don't like this. No, this makes me feel bad. Because the Bible says I should do whatever, whatever. Everything is permitted. While the children were growing up, I was very busy caring for the kids, homeschooling, doing what a mother does. By the time they were all grown, I was faced more with what I had or what I did not have with my husband. And it became harder and harder. And I walked away from the Lord for a while. 
I had an affair, that my husband would have said that that's what destroyed our marriage. That is not what I believe. I believe that all of the actions leading up to that destroyed our marriage. It certainly destroyed my walk with the Lord at the time. I was so ashamed and so miserable and so just so ashamed. I mean, I just, I couldn't believe that I would do that. I mean, I, I know all the reasonings. I know all, all the crap that led up to it, but I was a Christian and I know better. And I've, I've known better for a very, very long time. But for a very, very long time, I didn't believe I was loved. I didn't believe that I was important at all. So I went looking for someone to make me feel important. And it took me years to get back to the Lord. It was um, very, very difficult because everything that you hear, I mean, I was a Christian when I was 12, (laughs) but all those things you hear about looking for love in all the wrong places, no one else can fill the hole that is God hole inside your heart. No one else can love you like Jesus. All those things are true. (laughs) And we don't really need to go out and prove them, but I felt the need to go out and prove them. And I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. And God waited for me. God pursued me every single, I mean, I think I was safe. I'd listen to the radio station. I was safe. I wasn't going to hear from God. Well, then some stupid country song would come on and God would start speaking to my heart. It's like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Really? A country song? You're going to get me with a country song? But looking back now, I knew he was talking to me all the time. My sin didn't scare him away. Coming from an abused home, even though you met Jesus and invited him into your heart when you were 12, and then going into a very long, difficult marriage, and having spiritual abuse happening as well, manipulation, did you associate that with Jesus, or was it different? I can't imagine like a little girl being abused and being told, you have no rights, you have no voice, you whatever the men want. And then how do you rectify that with, hey, here's Jesus, your savior? (laughs) For the most part. When you're living in that situation for years and years and years. For the most part, it was always kept separate in my brain and in my heart. But every once in a while, I get this glimpse. I would much rather call God my Lord, my savior. All of those wonderful words, Emmanuel, holy, wonderful But it's difficult to call him father because I don't know what that is. So Chris's message on Sunday talking about fathers and how oftentimes our only reference to the word father is based on our earthly father, but our heavenly father is so much more and loves us. And it's incomprehensible how much greater he is than our earthly father. So, And in my head, I know that. I've been a Christian a long time. I know that. I get that. But sometimes my heart has a really hard time. I simply just don't have any frame of reference. So how did you find your way back from, you know, you walked away from the Lord, you were feeling, you know, there's shame and heartache, and He was waiting for you. Talk us through that part of Him redeeming you. Wow. He was always there. I used to think, All I have to do, it's like he's sitting right next to you. All I have to do is look. I mean, there's nothing holding back. Even though I lived sinfully, I would never tell God, I don't want you in my life. Because I always wanted God. I always wanted to be in love with God. I always wanted him to be my Lord. But I was not following him. And I understood, I think... (laughs) I believe that even at that time, he was still my father because he adopted me into his family. It simply took me turning to him. And I guess when I left my husband, I got an apartment and was only there for like a a month or two maybe when I left my apartment and my job to take care of my mom. I was blessed enough to stay with her for seven months before she passed. And then I went to live with my sister Candy. And so it was about a two-year period there where I was 
allowing him back in, allowing myself to hear Holy Spirit, where before it was it was almost like a little child, you know, with, with their hands on their ears. No, I don't want to listen. La, 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 la. And, and I literally would do that. I would turn my radio on or I would turn the TV on. So I would not hear what God was telling me in my heart because he seemed to be constantly talking to me in my heart. And I was constantly trying not to listen to him, which I can say that funny now. It was not funny then. It was, and it's really not funny when you, when you look at it. He was always steady there. And that's what it took. Even though in my head, again, I knew that he would never turn away from me. I knew that he would always be faithful. In my heart, I kept waiting for him to just give up on me. Humans do it all the time. You know, you've hurt me so much, I'm done. I'm done. You, you do what you want to do, but I'm done with you. You're not going to hurt me anymore. And here Jesus is, and here God is, and we hurt them all the time. And they never turn away. They never, ever, they never, ever turn away. They're not afraid of our sin. They're not afraid of our questions. They're not afraid of our hurt and our anger. They is the Trinity. Yes. They just want to love us. They want us to turn our heart to them. And it just doesn't have to be such a big deal to do it. You just do it because they're just waiting. With all the hard things that you went through and from the people closest to you, what was it that kind of kept you connected to a church? Back in the day when I was a teenager, the upper room, I always like to say it this way, it was like we lived in each other's back pockets all the time. We were together all the time. And of course, I was on the minstrel team and I was on the drama team. And so I was with all of those people two or three nights a week. And then Bible study on Wednesdays in church. They were more my family than my family. My dad passed away on a Saturday. Sunday morning, I came to church. Throughout all of those years, I would rather be with the people that I was closest to. I was closer to, to all of them more than my family. They were my best friends. And we did literally, I mean, there were, there were weeks probably that every single night we did something with somebody or, you know, hey, I'm not doing anything tonight. You want to get together? You want to play cards? You want to, you know, you do whatever. Yes. And so we just do it. Yeah. We were very spur of the moment. We were very, and of course we were young and we didn't, a lot of us didn't have children yet. So we weren't, I don't want to say burdened or weighed down. <laughs> <Busy>. <laughs> we were not as busy with all of the children that we soon began to have. But even with kids, we just packed them up and, and went, you know, yeah. we just packed them up and went. So I don't think that if I had stayed at a denominational church that I was going to, I probably would not have stayed with the church other than just a purely religious thing. But it was so much more than religion. It was relations. So, Chris. <laughs> so, John. <laughs> tell us, what lights you up? Actually, several things. Singing, absolutely. When we worship on Sunday mornings, we used to be so encouraged by everybody. Give everything you have. Give everything you have. Well, I do, <laughs> and I am exhausted by the time worship is over. But I have sung literally since I've been 12 years old. And the first time they put a microphone in my hand, I was 12. I had never sung a solo. There was this big commotion back with the director and the sound guy. And afterwards, they told me what happened. The sound man looked at the director, and the director looked at the sound man. And the sound man says, do I turn the music up, or do I turn her down? <laughs> the director said, turn the music up. <laughs> and that's just the way it's been. I don't get terribly nervous. I love singing. There's no way, better way in my heart and in my mind than to tell about Jesus. Music is so powerful, and you put the glory of God, team it up with the music. There's nothing more powerful. No matter where I am, even when I was not truly following the Lord, someone would invite me. I went to Victory for a long time. I came to the upper room every once. Someone would invite me. And before worship would start, I would always remember, you know what? Worship is not about what kind of day I'm having. It's not about whether I've been perfect this week, not had any big sins or little sins that I'm really bogged down by. 
Worship is absolutely only about how great God is and how worthy he is of being praised. Sometimes I forget and then I cry through most of worship. But most of the time, I encourage myself. It's like you tell your soul, bless the Lord, oh my soul. God is worthy of all of our praise. And so, and that's something that I love. I don't go out. I used to go to churches all over Ohio, all over Pennsylvania. I used to go all sorts of places and, and do all sorts of things. I had concerts down in, in Florida. I don't do that anymore, but I sing for our residents at work. And I, there's nothing better. <laughs> no, they don't stand up and give me a standing ovation, but you know what? The smiles on those faces, oh my golly, are just insanely fabulous. They're just fabulous. There's a section of the time that we sing oldies, and then the last section of the time we always sing hymns. And every single week, there are people in tears. I don't know why. I'm not really sure why, whether the Holy Spirit's moving on them, whether they just... Just this memory of worshiping in churches, their mothers, their fathers, their church, whatever it is. And that is just so fulfilling. It's like, I don't care what else happens today. This is a fabulous day. I don't care how bad I sound, what kind of mood I'm in before I start. That's why we do it, because they hear about the Lord. And I always tell them, we end with hymns because I want you to think about the Lord as we end. That's what I want to leave you with. Think about God and how much he loves you. Do you have any favorite artists, <laughs> favorite things that you like to listen to or sing? Chris sing Rice. Along, huh? Chris Rice, the cartoon The other song. singer. <laughs> My son would call it old school. <laughs> because I, I have Pandora and I have, oh, second chapter of Acts, Twyla Paris, Keith Green. You've never heard of any of these people, have you? <laughs> uh, Paris lady, I've heard of her. <laughs> And Keith Green. My, my mom had some cassettes. Oh of my Keith gosh. Green. Oh, I still have albums of that, but they I play it all the time on Pandora. I have CDs that I play. The current artist, probably I lean more toward Need to Breathe. I love Need to Breathe. I know. Casting Crowns. Those are those are my favorites. Come across. And they Pandora. do a lot of story songs and they do a lot of from us to God. God to us. It's it's not as much me preaching to you or me telling you what's going on, but me glorifying God. It's horizontal, vertical. vertical. <laughs> it's vertical, not horizontal. <laughs> okay, that's why. So singing lights you up. Is that how you're letting your light shine in this season? Or are you tapping into other talents and gifts? Definitely singing. I've also gotten much better at guitar playing since I've been playing every single week. The people that play with me, a little bit like beginners. So I have to chord everything. I have to figure out all of the songs. So it has stretched me in that way. Something that I have realized, someone once told me years ago, that God will never give you a talent or a gift that he won't use. In high school, I trained to be a legal secretary. So I was very fast at typewriting. And I don't think I'll ever use the shorthand, but all of the other things, the English, the language. So I went to this new job. Almost jokingly, the administrator said, oh, you know what? If you have extra time, you could do a, a newsletter. We would love to have a monthly newsletter. And I looked at her, I said, you realize that I don't even know how to put a picture onto the page or how to get it there so I could put it on a page. And she said, oh, you're so funny. I said, oh, no, I'm serious. I have no clue. <laughs> well, now I now do. Now you're the editor of the newspaper. Now I put out a monthly newsletter. The front page is almost always what the Lord has been speaking to me through whatever time is going on, you know, the seasons. And next month, I've already gotten the New Year's first page done about hope deferred makes the heart sick, about making resolutions. Bad. So I get to share the Lord in the newsletter. And I always say, this is my perfect job. This is my perfect job because not only do I get to sing for the residents, write a newsletter, which I love putting things together verbally and in writing. I didn't, I didn't remember that I loved writing so much, but I do. I can go down any time during my day while I'm on the clock and I can tell people about Jesus and I can sit and pray with people. I have prayed with people right before they pass. 
I've prayed with people who have been fearful because they're having a procedure done or something's happening or part of Alzheimer's very much is depression and anxiety. That's mm. very much a part of it. So I get to um, I get to encourage them and be with them. And I get paid for this. Just think this is like the world's best job. <laughs> really, I just, I love, and my fellow employees come to me when they want prayer. And we'll sit in my office and I can pray for, for the people who I work with. And nobody gets mad at me. And it's okay. It's all right. There are so many days that are just so exciting what I get to um, witness and hear, not only from residents, but absolutely the residents, but also the employees and the residents' families. Oh my gosh, they've got stories. I, I love hearing their stories about the residents because they all had productive lives before this disease stole it from them. And we can appreciate things the way they are now, but this person that you see now is not this person 10 years ago. And you know, there's certainly, you know, you can't have all your questions answered, why God, why, why God? But you only have to trust that his ways are higher than ours. And that, you know what? He's pretty good at all this running the world thing and he knows what he's doing. So I can't really argue with him a lot. That's an amazing gift to be able to see past the disease and see the person. That just tells me that you're in an amazing spot for who you are. Oh, I love getting a family talking. We just found out this, this one lady, just I just connected with her. And I didn't know why, because she, one of her um, symptoms, something that her disease brought her to, oh, she just yelled and screamed all the time. And she would yell in her room all by herself. And she'd argue with herself. Most people were kind of scared of her. Yeah. But, oh, my gosh, I just just loved her. I would make sure, no matter what kind of mood she was in that morning, whether she was yelling and screaming at everybody or just real quiet, I would bring her and sit her right in front of me when I would sing. And as soon as I strummed my guitar and had the first word come of my mouth, she quieted down. And she would always say, that's so beautiful. <laughs> She passed away, which was very unforeseen. Her daughter just came to pick up her things, and uh, our social services person was talking to her, and she said, we're, we're really going to miss her because she was really special to, to several of us, and we really miss her. And she said, you know what I'm going to miss? I'm going to miss going to church and hearing her beautiful soprano voice. And we thought, that's it. God spoke to her in the music. And we didn't know why. We didn't know why that was going on. But we got to find out after she already went to be with Jesus. Oh, I, I, could, I could spend hours telling you stories of what people have said and what they've done. And it's the most rewarding job I could have. I mean, I used to think I wanted to be a professional singer, just to go out and make that my life. And really, most of me is very grateful that God never put me there. Because that would be a very difficult life, especially for someone who had such self-esteem problems. That would be very difficult. But this way, I still get to sing, and I still get to use the gift that he gave me. I didn't ask for it. I just opened my mouth, and it was there. It was what he wanted to use. I feel like you kind of just told us one, but do you have any other supernatural encounters or experiences that you would like to share about? Changing my job was a really big thing. I had been with this family for years. I had grown up with uh, one man. He was my twin brother's best friend. I'd known them forever and ever. They gave me my first job when I was 16. And I was in management and had been for years and years. I thought that was where I was going to retire. And then COVID came and I was okay, probably the first year of COVID. And then something inside of me just turned. I was no longer happy. I felt like I was no longer, um, I mean, I knew I do, did a good job, but I didn't, it wasn't in me anymore. I just didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to be there. I wanted something else. And so I told my employers, I'm going to go for my vacation. And I went on my vacation hoping that being away would refresh me. And I walked back into the store after my vacation and I was reduced to tears. I mean, the moment I walked in, I thought, I, I can't do this anymore. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no offers, but I put my two weeks notice in that day. 
And I couldn't live more than three weeks with the money that I had. I had three weeks. At that point, I was still very new at giving my life back to God. And it was incredibly scary. I, I, I assume knowing me, it would have been scary any time of my life. All of my experience had been with food service. I ran restaurants. I ran departments and grocery stores. And I did not want to be in food. <laughs> not any part of me wanted to be in food. And I just kept telling the Lord, you're, you're going to have to do something. <laughs> because I really, I have never felt so, well, it'd been a long time since I had felt so strongly something God was telling me. And God was telling me, your season here is over. I have something else for you. But I had no clue what it was. And so I went out, started putting applications into all kinds of places. And I got all kinds of job offers. But after I would tour the facility, I think I can't do this for the rest of my life. I can't come to this job every day. And I'm at the age where I don't want to go to some place that I have to struggle get to go to, that I can't see God using me. Not that he can't use me any place. I know that. And at one point I had told him, okay, Lord, I'm sorry, but this is where I am. I'm giving you until Wednesday. Because on Wednesday, the next week, I run out of money. And I'm going to need a job. And I jokingly would tell people, so if God fails me, I will go to Chick-fil-A. Because I know they're not open on Sunday. And that was one of my big things. I wanted to go back to church regularly every, every Sunday. And I know that they would hire me because I've got oodles of experience. Service, yeah. But I didn't want to. Well, Wednesday came. And I went to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> the interview was great. He offered me a job. Can you start on Friday? Okay, I'll be here on Friday. You can pick up your uniform when you come in on Friday. And I knew the person who was going to be training me. I'd gone to school with her. I only wanted one job. And that was at St. Mary's. And they'd never called me back. And I assumed it was because I asked for too much money. I had already decided that. Well, the whole time I'm talking to this manager in Chick-fil-A, my cell phone is buzzing in my pockets, hmm. literally, while I'm in the interview with the manager. I accepted the job. I told him I'd be there on Friday. I walked out. I picked up my phone. And it was the administrator from Windsor House St. Mary's on Wednesday, the day that I had given God the day for, and I stepped out from what he and I had talked about and accepted this job. So I had to um, embarrass myself and call Chick-fil-A and say, I am so sorry, I can't take this job. St. Mary's met the amount that I wanted, Plus, they give everyone a, a bonus um, if you come to work on time every day. And I come from the generation that actually did that. <laughs> I would never get the bonus. <laughs> uh, yeah, every day. I never felt so strongly God moving me out of something. And it was very scary because I wasn't going to be able to pay my bills. God told me to do it. And to me, at that point, I was like a baby Christian. It was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> really, God? Real? This is what you want me to do here? You know, a couple weeks into this, and this is where you're taking me? Okay. <laughs> We're on a journey. Okay, let's go. I have been, day after day, blown away by what God has brought to me because of where he put me. I can't imagine a better suited place for me to spend 40 hours a week and him just use me. I'm still 14 months later, thrilled, thrilled that I am where I am. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Chris, we really appreciate you coming in and sharing your story and being vulnerable with us. It's always good to hear stories of redemption. I think oftentimes when we show up at church and we look around, it's easy for us to think everyone here has their act together Everyone here has never done what I've done. <laughs> I always say if that. they only knew, the lovely thing about it is God can wipe away all of that. And he is pursuing us and wants to redeem us. All we have to do is say yes to him and turn towards him. He's going to help us get our lives back in order. And I also want to say out there, I think it's very easy for people who are struggling in their marriage in the church to stay quiet about it. We just want to tell you, if that is you and you're struggling in your marriage, 
there is options for you. There's counseling. We have Pastor Chuck and Lynn do pastoral marriage counseling. We recommend regular counseling. There's help. And I think sometimes when we are ashamed or we don't want to share our stories, we don't allow people to help us. So if you're out there and you're struggling in your marriage, go to counseling. Get help. Tell a friend. Phone a friend because there is hope and help in marriages. Marriage can be a hard thing sometimes and you don't have to do it alone. I think just that it's also just like it's easy to look around and think that everyone else has it together. It's also easy to just not come anymore. You know, I think people get overwhelmed by life and put church at the back bottom of the priority list. And I think that's what pressed me most about your story is just how consistently, even though things were really hard, you consistently just wanted to go to church and be there. That seemed to be the thing that, that was your home. And it kept calling you home. And that's what impressed me most about your story, just your persistence with pursuing God in that way. Because I know it can be, it can be hard. Well, you both were raised in Christian homes and church was, I think that I can take the liberty to say that it was a huge part of your life. When you have so many years of it being such a huge part, that's what it is. I, I mean, it's it's almost like breathing. It's that's that's a part of your everyday living and your life. It's hard to walk away from that. Hmm. It, it's like taking a part of your heart out and saying, "Okay, yeah. you can live without this now." When you really don't want to. I really, I mean, credit God, but also he used the upper room in my life so much that everyone here became my family. Well, we're really glad that you're back at the upper room, and we are happy that you shared your story and appreciate your honesty, and it's good to have you home. I'll be looking forward to your Shine newsletter. I'm sorry, what? Your your Shine newsletter. Wait, what? I feel like that's coming. I feel like that was like just like the natural progression. Now, doesn't someone already do a newsletter? Well, several people's do it. See, there you go. (laughs) We always have room for more. I know Megan's always writing for that. And I, like, as you were talking, I was like, oh, this sounds like the perfect person for Beth surrounding for a newsletter (laughs) entry. Josh. (laughs) Katie, cut that out. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.